It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. So my feel-good story this week was about Officer Clarence. It's a police dog. He's part of the canine first responders. He's a 10-year-old. Like Sergeant Stubby. Yeah. Well, he's a St. Bernard. He's a 10-year-old St. Bernard. Um, He attended that service for Capitol Police Officer William, also known as Billy Evans, this Mm -hmm. past week. Mm -hmm. Sadly, he was the one that was killed on April 2nd when a driver rammed his car into the barricade. Mm. I know. So Clarence Handler, Deputy Chief William Gordon, traveled with Clarence from Greenfield Police Department, Massachusetts. These canine first responders provide comfort to those in traumatic situations. Uh, The picture, when I was reading this article, of Clarence and his handler by the phone officer was so touching. He is really a big big dog. Drooly. Yeah, yeah. My husband's fraternity had, that was their mascot, Baron, the the St. Bernard. But if they shake their head. It just kind of sprays you. Yeah, you do. It's a shower. Cute. Not that part. Yeah. The rest of them are very cute. So Clarence, he even got a hug and kiss and a paw shook by President Biden as he walked by when he was paying (laughs) his respects to the fallen officer. Clarence became part of Deputy Chief Gordon's family back in 2011. His wife is also an officer, and she was experiencing post-traumatic syndrome. And Clarence provided great support while she was going to her treatment. Mm. He just kind of come alongside her. They started working with first responders in 2012 after Sandy Hook shooting. Super sad, but these Aww. therapy dogs, you know, they they come along with like firefighters to help mm-hmm. deliver the bad news yeah. to the parents, and they just provide so much comfort and support. Warmth and, yeah. yeah, during these horrific, you know, getting this horrific news. Yeah. Clarence also helped those after the Boston Marathon bombing. Mm. Yeah, and the victims in the hospital, like the, visiting them in the hospital, visiting the hospital, and then the family members. Aww. Yeah. And then he provided comfort for those family members affected in 2017 Las Vegas shooting. He's been all over. He's been all over. He's kind of a <laughs> he's, famous he's a world traveler. He, he's a famous dog. But the goal of you know these therapy dogs is to provide a little bit of positive during mm-hmm. a very dark yeah. kind of tragic time. And I have to say, just I know how much love we get from our little pup Fritz. I mean, the short. <laughs> couple months we've had her it's just she's provided so much well and even just all the dogs we see when we're out running it's just an instant connection you have not only with the dog but usually with the owner right for sure just an instant um commonality yeah yeah i think dogs really are therapeutic i agree So before I go into my deep dive, I kind of wanted to back up a little bit when we um, had talked about the Girl Scout Troop 6000 with oh, the yeah. shelter. So I saw a story about a Girl Scout Troop 64224 yeah. in Iowa. They are part of the Micah House, which I guess must offer emergency housing for people who have either domestic abuse or for whatever reason find themselves without a home. The Micah House opened back in 1986 in Council Bluff, Iowa. This particular Girl Scout group started in 2018, so they haven't oh, been around a t- right. you know very long. But they usually have between six to eight members. Okay. And last year they had sold a thousand boxes, and mm. they wanted to at least match how many Girl Scout cookies they sold last year. This year, 
they sold more than 26,000 boxes. Holy moly. So once they hit that goal, then they were like, we want, I mean, they yeah. they hit that goal by trying to hit every state. Wow. And with COVID, you know, a lot more people were buying things online versus sure. their yeah. you know, side of the store. But So they ended up selling in all 50 states. That's awesome. And like I said, over 26,000 boxes. So super cool that these homeless girls are still getting to participate in something <sighs> So positive right. and beneficial for their future. With yeah, the Girl that's Scouts. awesome. My oldest son idolized Steve Irwin, and Aww, yeah. what is not to admire about Steve Irwin? The yeah. man had cranky. Just, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but that's always what I thought. Um, he had an infectious enthusiasm for life. He spread a message of conservation, and most importantly, got people excited to learn about animals. Oh, for sure. Do you have a favorite animal? Well, I kind of like dogs, so I'm a little bit of a domestic. <laughs> yeah, I my favorite animal is a shark. Crocodiles scare like anybody. Yeah. They they scare me, but um, this man just loved crocodiles. I remember watching Animal Planet with Zach as he was growing up, and even my middle guy Spencer got in on the action. He loved the show with the Wiggles. Oh yeah, I don't know if that's we still, what, yeah my kids watch that too. anymore. But there was a particular episode with Steve Irwin, and it was ridiculously cheesy. But uh-huh. every once in a while, I'll still belt out one of the songs, uh-huh. mainly about fruit salad, just for fun. I remember the day. Steve Irwin died. I was picking Zach up from school, and his teacher approached me. I'm sad to say I was in the car, you know, in the line, the carpool line, which is terrible for the environment. And I'm doing this story for Earth Month, so not good. But his teacher approached me with concern when I picked him up from school that day, knowing that it would be a sad night for my little third grader. When I was reading this, uh, the book yeah. um, about Steve Irwin at work, one of my coworkers said that he remembered where he was when he heard that the crocodile oh, wow. had, had died. Yeah. So this man resonated with people young and old. For sure. Yeah. So I wanted to do Steve Irwin during Earth Month, but after digging more into his life, I decided it wasn't enough to just do Steve. His family meant the world to him. So you can't really talk about Steve Irwin without discussing Terry, Bindi Sue, and Robert. Steve and Me, this, uh, that book that I was just starting to talk about by Terry Irwin, offers a glimpse into their lives, the evolution of the Australian Zoo, and Steve's loves. It's definitely, definitely a book I would recommend, even if you weren't a fan of Steve right. Irwin. Actually, if you weren't a fan, I especially think you should read it because it was just, it taught you so much about him. I know that some people thought he was arrogant and yeah. mistreated animals in their natural habitat, that it was all just for the camera, but none of that could be further from the truth. His love for animals was so deep that he was willing to accept the hassles of fame. He didn't want to be a celebrity, but he was willing to put up with that right. to spread his message. If that meant that his message would reach more people, he was willing to do it. He simply wanted to educate people so that they might have a little more appreciation for the natural world. And he literally gave his life with that passion. Steve's children have carried on his passion as wildlife warriors, which I kind of, I love that. I love that name. Yeah. Robert has been on numerous episodes of the Jimmy Fallon show. Oh, bringing, fun. Bringing on all sorts of exotic creatures to talk about, and he kind of reminds me of a modern-day Jack Hanna, which oh, I know yeah. I'm aging myself saying yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But it's just very cute if you watch the clips. Bindi Sue's pushing the science angle with research and has her own show. She's had her own shows, and she even won, I think it was season 21 of Dancing with the Stars. Oh, cool. She said it was the first time she ever wore heels. 
But yeah, that's a little fun fact. They're still running the zoo together as a family and continuing Steve's work, taking the message of wildlife conservation worldwide. Just like his kids have followed in their father's footsteps, Robert and Lynn Irwin nurtured the passion young Steve had for animals growing up. Oh, okay. His mom was a wildlife rehabilitator, and the father was an expert herbatologist. They opened Queensland Reptile and Fauna Park, where Steve absorbed everything he could about animals. Oh, so it was really a family affair. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sometimes he was even late for school because he'd make his mom pull over for various creatures, little critters on the side of the road. Gotta pick one up on the way. So uh, for his sixth birthday, he got a python. (laughs) What a gift for a six-year-old. That was also the same year he caught his first venomous snake, a common brown. By age nine, he had wrangled his first crocodile wow. under the careful watch of his father. So this yeah. was a family affair. Yeah. I mean, they they kept it safe, as safe as they could, I guess, with crocodiles. With humans encroaching on land inhabited by crocodiles, it's no surprise that this was a dangerous combination, mostly for the crocodiles, because right. a lot of times they would just end up shot. But if they could relocate the crocodiles, it would be a win-win for everybody. Erwin's foresight, innovation in captive care, breeding, and handling of native Australian animals set a new benchmark for wildlife welfare in Australia. Erwin was noted in the conservation sector for utilizing nonviolent capture techniques, which were then largely unemployed, such as proximity lassoing, hooding, trapping, and netting, instead of the more common tranquilizers, chains, or other more potentially harmful methods. Irwin would also come to strike bargains with the government, catching problematic or intruding crocodiles in Queensland and in return bringing them to the reptile park. This is the senior Irwin, so he's teaching this all to to young Steve. Irwin later aided by his son Steve, personally caught and raised every crocodile in the reptile park. Ultimately, they they had around 100 crocodiles. Wow, that's a lot. And Steve's quote on one of their websites was, What a childhood. My mom was Mother Teresa of Wildlife Rehabilitation. Our house Aww. was a giant maternity ward, fair smack dab in the middle of Birwa Reptile Park. It was nothing for us kids to be sharing our house with orphaned Joey kangaroos. Um, I wonder what a sleepover over there would be like. Sugar gliders, <laughs> ringtail or bushtail possums. Wow. That would yeah. not be a Koala, joeys, and baby birds, and untold amounts of other injured Australian animals. What a menagerie and an exceptional household to be raised in. That's oh, what he, he yeah. said of his mother. Steve took over the zoo in 1991, and he they later renamed it Australia Zoo. It was there that he met a young woman from Tracktown, oh. Eugene, Oregon. Did she go to the U of O, do you think? Do you know? No. Okay. no. I was curious. Um, she did not. She just was raised there. And okay. actually, her name's Teresa. Spelled with an H, though. Oh, okay. I was um, say, like so, yeah. um, Terry Rains grew up in Tracktown, but her parents also, just like Steve's parents, encouraged her love of animals, too. Her father was a long-haul trucker. She ended up inheriting the company, taking over the business. Okay. She wasn't a trucker, but organized and ran it. And would bring he'd bring home injured animals for the family to rehabilitate and release back into the wild. It's so cool that they're both doing the same thing in different parts On, of the world. Yeah, very different parts yeah. of the world. She was running the family business and in 1988 started working part-time at an emergency vet hospital in Eugene. I admire this woman's drive and work ethic for sure, but I most admire the center she started. Oh. Cougar country. Oh. 
It was a rescue for cougars, bobcats, bears, foxes, and raccoons. She talks about rescuing a malnourished cougar from Hillsborough. Oh, wow. Just in our backyard. I can, yes. That's really like, cool. I mean, it's embarrassing because the story is horrible with how this man was treating it. But the man was trying to make money selling these cougars. Oh. And when she went there to look, the, the cougar was malnourished and obviously being mistreated. So she That's saw awful. it as, yeah. as her saving the cougar. And I think it was like $3,000. And she wasn't going to, she wasn't planning on purchasing the cougar. But when right. she saw the little thing, she just couldn't leave it there. And she also was the caretaker for the baby cougar in the 1987 movie Benji the Hunted. Oh. So she had a, you know, she was doing her own thing. She was on right. a trip with a girlfriend and decided to make Australia Zoo one of their destination spots. This It was a smaller, you know, much smaller zoo at this time. Right. Very small attraction. And it was during one of Steve's famous crocodile shows that Terry first took note of Steve, and she said it was love at first sight. Oh, She was absolutely smitten with this man that she compared to an environmental Tarzan. Wow, that's an interesting... I know. I, 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 I like I, it. I do, too. With his khakis. Yeah. And that only grew after she talked to him, but she was crushed when he asked Terry if she wanted to go meet his girlfriend. Oh. She said, fortunately for Terry, that girlfriend ended up being his Staffordshire Bull Terrier, Suey. <laughs> so she was very relieved. She understood because she had her own dog, Shasta, and yeah. the rescued cougar. When she returned to Oregon, she got excited anytime the phone would ring at odd hours, thinking it might be Steve. They were engaged four months later. Wow, that's a short engagement. Yes. And they were married in 1991. Instead of a traditional honeymoon, they went out on a filmed crocodile adventure, which would be his first and eventually was broadcast in 130 countries. It wasn't actually planned, but a crocodile needed desperately to be relocated before locals took matters into their own hands. And the newlyweds were unfortunately disappointed that they were too late for the crocodile. Mm-hmm. Um, that they had intended to save, but it definitely, the show was a success for other reasons. He was passionate about animals, but also protective. Terry always felt safe with Steve. There was a story in the book that there was a huge storm at the zoo in 2001 where the enclosures were flooding, which meant, you know, the dangerous reptiles. Right might escape the crew heroically did what they could in the insane weather conditions i mean it was dark right but steve and his best mate wes were working to clear debris and prevent the fence from buckling steve was always worried about human error with latches on fences and he just he didn't he didn't want to run that risk so they didn't have any latches you just had to you had to wow the skill of jumping the fence to get into the enclosure and i guess jumping the fence to get out that's one way of dealing with it yeah Brave. Yeah, In the darkness, one croc got a hold of Wes's thigh, and it's because of Steve's quick thinking and reaction that Wes survived. He helped with a search and rescue expedition in Mexico when some divers went missing. He created the Steve Irwin Conservation Foundation, later named Wildlife Warriors in 2002, and used money that he had earned from the crocodile hunter to purchase large areas of land for endangered wildlife in Australia, Vanusha, Fiji, and the U.S., the zoo today is 76 acres. That's Steve good. was very hands-on with everything he did from wrangling crocodiles to caring for his children. And while he appeared larger than life to most of us, it didn't mean that he didn't have his share of problems or fears or even at times hurt feelings. The crocodile hunter wasn't afraid of big crocs or alligators, but do you want to guess the animal that he was afraid of? I have no idea. A parrot. 
He was afraid of parrots. I guess he'd been clipped enough times to have a healthy fear of the little creatures. Oh, man. So Steve also had a sense that he wasn't going to live a full life. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, he he didn't live in fear, obviously, but I think it that's part of what allowed him to truly get all he could out of each and every day. He was devastated with the death of his mother. Um, she died in a car accident, and in 2004, he ended up opening up a hospital in her memory oh, so, so that neat. the spirit of his mother could live on forever. Terry was visiting Oregon. And she got, a, she had a knock on the door and, and they didn't have any phone service and oh. she had to get to a phone. And by the time she got a hold of Steve, he was just inconsolable when he told her the news. He was also a very private person, which is surprising. Yeah. They didn't entertain. Such an personality. Yeah. I mean, he was larger than life, but they had their private spot. They didn't entertain at their house. They only entertained oh. at the zoo. Yeah. Um, Steve would head into the zoo early and do the necessary feeding and care of the animals. And then he'd head back for breakfast. So he was the early oh, riser, wow. get all the stuff done and then go back and do the family time too. That private place would be important for celebrities like Steve since he had his fair share of bad media. He was blasted for taking his infant son, Robert, into a crocodile enclosure for a public feeding. They compared it at the time to, and I totally remember this, to Michael Jackson holding his baby over that ledge in Germany. But Steve loved his kids fiercely and would never endanger them. For him, this was a family lifestyle. He grew up doing that with his dad, so he totally was normal normal for him. He knew he was a safe distance from the crocodile because he had done it countless times before. But with camera angles and the salacious media, it was just ugly. He had pressure from those close to him to apologize, but he stood his ground. He did apologize if it frightened anyone, but he stood his ground, solid in the statement that little Robert was never in danger. He was investigated by child services after that. Oh, my goodness. Really? Uh, But no charges were ever filed. He was also sued by the Australian court for interfering interfering with penguins and whales while filming a documentary in Antarctica. Oh. But he was acquitted, thank goodness. The bad press and legal mess would leave Steve loving animals all the more. He noted that animals were so much easier to understand than humans. He knew that a crocodile wanted to eat him. Right. There was no question about their intentions, but humans were a lot more complex. And I saw a quote that that he said something about um, sometimes humans pretend to be your friends. Right. And and then they do terrible things. So um just had to be hard for him. The media also at times twisted details of his death. On September 4th, Steve was filming Ocean's Deadliest along the Great Barrier Reef, and conditions weren't ideal for their filming so they decided to take the crew out for some clips of stingrays for his daughter bindi's show the stingray is a very docile creature but likely thought steve's shadow was a tiger shark and responded in fear oh no so the cameraman saw the reaction of the stingray violently whipping its tail but he had no idea it had fatally wounded steve he steve's big thing was just keep the camera rolling keep okay. the camera he always wanted to get you know the raw real footage of the creatures right so the cameraman you know stayed on the stingray and watched it swim away not realizing that steve had been pierced in the heart so he quickly got Steve into the boat and started CPR, and I watched an interview that he said he, um, it was an interview on Steve's last adventure where the friend continued CPR for an hour just oh, in hopes of keeping his friend alive. Wow. But obviously once um, professionals examined him, he, he had passed. His death was tragic enough, but when, I'm saying fans, yeah. um, left dead stingrays on the beach in response to his death, it was just horrific and too much. 
That was the last thing in the world Steve would have wanted. He admired all creatures and understood the risk he was taking being in their environment. Right. The zoo was filled with over 5,000 people at his memorial, and a young Bindi Sue gave an extremely articulate eulogy for her father. You could see then that he was still impacting this world through his young daughter. Later, Bindi would meet her soulmate at the zoo, just like Steve and Cherry had met years ago. So Steve, I think, is still impacting the world through the work of his family. The three have a show called It's the Irwins, covering the Australian zoo, and I guess technically it's now five because Bindi's married. And they have a new baby of their own. COVID has definitely impacted the zoo, but they worked together. And I watched an interview where Bindi noted that they took turns being strong. Oh, that's Which I love because families do take turns. to each other, yeah. Yeah. Families do take turns bearing the burden. Right. They made the early rounds caring for the animals just like Steve had done so many years ago. It's so hard to understand why we had to lose this wildlife warrior so soon. He was only 44. Wow, young. Just like the circle of life in nature, death is a part of life, too, I guess. I'm just so grateful for the years Steve had on this planet to teach us all about the types, about all the types of animals, to encourage us to love and appreciate all living things. And I want to live with the passion Steve had for life and not take a single day for granted. I also want to make a positive mark on the world just like Steve. His message lives on in the lives of his family and loved ones, which I... Yeah. Definitely admire. I think, too, I often don't want to watch, you know, I had that member suggest The Octopus, yeah. Octopus the Teacher right. on Netflix, which is a great film. But once again, you have all these things where out in nature, death is part of it. And to me, I think that's why nature shows are hard. I think that's why I loved Steve Irwin's stuff, because he right. had these live creatures and he sat there giving you all these fun facts. And it was just enthusiastic and exciting. Right. Versus, it was, you know, there is some, it's sad to watch some of the, that, the octopus, the teacher is a yeah. really good show, but okay. it, it is a nature show that he loses a, an arm and I, I won't do any more spoilers. It's okay. a good show, but have to check it out. Um, some fun facts about Steve Irwin. He trained in Jida Juso, which oh, I guess is like okay. a martial formal arts. martial arts type yeah. or MMA type of thing. So that, I mean, obviously he had to stay strong in order to wrangle the crocodiles. For sure, yeah. He loved to surf. And I guess he was oh, really, really good. Australia is awesome for surfing. That sort of thing. Uh, he was born on the same day as his mother, oh, which is kind of fun. That's interesting. He made an appearance in Eddie Murphy's Dr. Doolittle 2. Oh, cute. His death is only the third death in Australia due to stingrays since 1945 when mm. they started um, keeping track. Very, very, very rare. He was the elephant seal voice in Happy Feet, oh, the movie in 2005. I love that movie. My kids the loved it. The government of Rwanda named a baby gorilla after him. Volcanoes National Park. Okay. Which I guess is the park that was made famous in Gorillas in the Mist. An air-breathing land snail was named after him in 2009. Oh, man. Crikey Steve Irwiny. That's so cute. And True Blue by Steve Williamsburg was sung at his memorial. I guess it was his favorite song. There was also a snapping turtle that was named after Steve Irwin. He just was such an amazing man, lost too soon. There's a snapping turtle named... Elsia Irwin, or Irwin Turtle. Um, There's a road in Australia that was named after Steve, Steve Irwin Highway. Apparently, it's quite treacherous and has has had its fair share of accidents. But a couple of quotes that I love that Steve made. 
I believe that education is all about being excited about something. Seeing passion and enthusiasm helps push an educational message. Yeah. So true. Yeah, I'm, really that's what I'm inspired with him, with his, his passion and excitement and enthusiasm. The other quote he had, I have a message for my fans. Whatever you want to do in this world, it is achievable. The most important thing that I've found that perhaps you could use is to be passionate and enthusiastic in the direction that you choose in your life. And you'll be a winner. Yeah. I think that's a great message. It is. When I was in junior high, or what (laughs) younger folks call middle school now. Yeah, that's right. It is middle school now. Funny. Uh, There was a group called MAD. Oh, yeah. Did you have that in your area? Like Mothers Against Drunk Mm -hmm. Driving? Yeah. Exactly. And that's when they would give out things. uh, They'd come out to school and give out stickers and rulers and I think even little comic books. I think they did an assembly once or twice at our school. Their focus was eliminating underage drinking and prevent drunk driving. Not sure how effective their message was, but I understood where they were coming from. Drinking and driving was and remains a problem. And nobody's going to get more angry about a problem that puts children at risk than a group of mama bears. That is for sure. <laughs> Several years ago, we went and saw um, Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. Uh, his show. And the guy that opened up for him said the best way to take on, like, the Taliban or... It's a know, bunch of moms. Yeah. he's He called, I think it was, um, at the time, baseball moms or something. Oh, yeah. But uh, you could, really, you know, soccer moms or for whatever sure. it is. Get some moms mad and they're going to do something about it. But there's another group of fierce moms banding together to protect their children from not only a present danger, but a long-term problem that needs to be addressed now. Moms Clean Air Force is fighting to increase current air quality issues and to ensure going forward that we have a clean environment for our children in the future. That's awesome. I know. Something we could get behind. Exactly. I just happened to find this group just purely by accident, but their mission statement is... Our mission is to protect children from air pollution and climate change. We envision a safe, stable, and equitable future where all children breathe clean air. Simple. Right. But yet not. With over 1.2 million members and chapters in 25 states spanning from California to New York. But you said not in Oregon? Not in Oregon. Okay. No, but I did. I emailed them. There are some volunteer opportunities that we can do in Oregon, okay, so they, they will be getting in touch with us. But yeah, they don't have a specific chapter in Oregon. Okay. Dang it. But we might have to change that. These moms have created a network of community organizers that do everything from grassroots cleanup campaigns to promoting and lobbying for legislation that combats air pollution and climate change. Wow. Once again, right up our alley. Totally. The group considers itself mom-partisan. <laughs> In that they do not affiliate with any particular political party. Right. They believe that clean air and a healthy environment is good for children regardless of what political party you support. Which totally is true. Exactly. They have support and have worked with senators and members of Congress from both sides of the aisle. The group was founded by Dominic Browning, who was an editor-in-chief for Condé Nast magazine and then House and Garden magazine, where she started introducing more environmental issues into the magazine. Okay. In those, it uh, forays into environmental research that caused her sleepless nights. She decided to do something about it, which I love. Yeah. All of our stories about perfect. people that it's, they just decided on their own. To, it just takes one. Yep. Yeah. And in 2011, she started the Moms Clean Air Force. The group provides education through speeches and its website. If you go to their website, it you could spend all day. Just, okay. It's fascinating. Cool. 
Their hope is to arm its members with accurate and reliable information to help educate others. Part of their message is connecting the dots between industrial pollution and child health issues. Members working as a community work to build support for plans to limit carbon, methane, and ozone, particularly in communities that bear a disproportionate amount of pollution, which tends to be poor and minority communities. Okay. They bring attention to dangerous chemicals and products and work locally and nationally for legislation to protect consumers from dangerous chemicals and products. Right, yeah. From dangerous chemicals. They support and promote legislation to help combat air pollution and climate change. They promote social justice in many of the communities hit hardest by pollution. And particularly indigenous people who have historically been hit more severely by the effects of pollution and have less of an opportunity to receive health care. Right. So they're doing great things. Their website That's awesome. provides, I think so too. Their website provides information on a number of pollution issues from smog to fracking to carbon emissions. They also provide information on chemicals and health impacts on children and seniors. They provide links to help organize groups and events, sign petitions, call lawmakers, do a letter campaign, or to utilize social media to educate others. Oh. They try to make sure their protests or, and um, organizing remain family-friendly and encourage having kids to get involved. Yeah, that's so which great. Which I think is awesome. Prior to COVID, chapters would host home parties and play-ins, which were like sit-ins that they'd focus on issues but also promote children playing. The focus is the children and saving their future by tackling pollution and climate change today. We'll have their link up on our website. Go check out that and other inspirational links as well. And we would love to hear from people yes. with, and get their ideas with what they're doing for the environment or, you know, maybe people who inspire them or share a story of someone that you'd like us to research. But email us at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or just go check out our website. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Harold Thurman Like and subscribe. Follow Transgential Inspiration on Facebook and Instagram. 